Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. And now, here's Dr. Lloyd Willis with today's lesson. Good morning, Sabbath School. Welcome. Let's pray. Dear Lord, please guide our study today and thank you for all of the gifts that you've placed in the world around us to increase our faith. Guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible was not written as a textbook for science or history or geography, but for pointing to Christ as the fountain of salvation. It reveals God's love and God's plan for dealing with sin. But in the process, it tells us a lot about history, the historical framework of the books of the Bible and the stories of the Bible. It, uh, however, is selective history. It doesn't tell us every detail that we might want to have had included. Is this history reliable? That's the question that is so often asked. I would say a very definite yes, it is, but it is not complete. That's the selective part. It is salvation history. Hasgeschichte, I think, is the German term for it. It's sacred history. So it doesn't tell us about, uh, well, it doesn't tell us about Australia or even China. It's focused on the part of the world where the gospel story was worked out and devised for us. And in the process of studying the history in the Bible, we can find there are many things that we can check up on through archaeology and various other forms of research. William Foxwell Albright was a very fascinating American archaeologist in the, uh, born in the 19th century. In 1901, he was 10 years of age. He grew up as a child of missionaries, Methodist missionaries in South America and Chile, and uh, he loved history. So at 10 years of age, he saved up $5, which he sent to the United States to have the two volumes of Babylonia and Assyria, the history of Babylonia and Assyria by R.W. Rogers, to have that sent to him at 10 years of age. And he read it at least twice. Quite a fascinating story. So that person was educated partly in Chile and then in the United States. And in the United States, he was put through the process of higher criticism through his university studies. That tended to destroy faith in the Bible. But when he completed his PhD, he very wisely said, let me go to the Middle East and find out whether the stories of the Bible check out and the details, the history of the Bible checks out as reliable. So he dug at various sites in Israel and at the conclusion of his studies, and he went on to, to write many books and articles and so on, but at his conclusion, he said, I can go back to Genesis 12. It is historical from Genesis 12 on. He said, before Genesis 12, well, that's too far in the past and and so we can't really check up on that. But his conclusion was from Genesis 12 on, we're looking at a historical uh, account in the Bible. 
first point I want to make is that in the Bible, the Bible tells us the good and the bad about the various heroes and characters, beginning with Abraham. Abraham, if you read the story in Genesis chapter 12, it tells how he was a man of faith in going out, but he lost faith when he went down to Egypt. And so he told his wife, Sarah, to say that she was his sister, which was only a half-truth. She was his half-sister, and a half-truth is a lie. So Abraham's faith was growing. In uh, uh, Genesis chapter 16, it tells how that he wasn't sure how God was going to fulfill his promise of a son, and so he married Hagar, and Ishmael was the result. That was a lack of faith. So it's telling the bad things about Abraham. But then when you go to Genesis 22, you have the supreme test of faith of Abraham where he is prepared to sacrifice Isaac if that's what God really wants him to do. So it tells the good and the bad, the, uh, the beauty and the warts, as somebody has said. If you go on a little further to the time of David and Solomon and the, the Hebrew monarchy, this has been a, a favorite target of the various critics of the Bible. And uh, until maybe 30 years ago, they were very adamant that there was never a King David. If there was a David, he was probably just a, a chieftain with a, a few little villagers under him or something like that. Uh, we know better because we've studied the Bible. We've read the records about him. And uh, in 1993, there was a fascinating verification. In 1993, at Dan, in Israel, they speak of Dan to Beersheba because Dan is sort of the northern frontier uh, or near it. Uh, at Dan, they found this inscription. It's, it's only part of the inscription, but this is what they found first. And uh, it is written in Aramaic and is apparently the description by an Aramean, that's a, a Syrian king from Damascus. He came down and uh, defeated the powers in Israel. And then as he was leaving, he set up this monument to, to record his victory and celebrate his victory. And when he did that, writing it in Aramaic, he included the phrase several times, the king of Israel. So he defeated the king of Israel and the house of David. Now this inscription uh, stylistically comes from the kind of writing comes from about the middle of the ninth century BC, which is uh, not too long after the death of Solomon, 931 BC. So, uh, who is this king of Israel and who is this house of David? Well, the king of Israel is not named. Some think it might be Basha, but there's other possibilities about the middle of the ninth century. But the house of David is very significant because it not only admits that there was a David, but he was the founder of a dynasty, the house of David. And so different suggestions have been made. Who is the one that fits here? But the important thing is we have this contemporary witness to David as a king who founded a dynasty in Israel 
back there in the 10th, 9th century period. So that is very significant. In, uh, in subsequent times, some other pieces of this inscription have been found. Actually, it was Dr. Abraham Biran who, whose team discovered this, and they found this first slab underneath a wall, sort of in the foundations of a wall in the city of Dan. And we know the date for the wall, and so we can date the inscription from the style of writing and from its position very clearly to about the middle of the 9th century BC. Um, they have hoped since to find more pieces, and they found a few, including one more quite significant piece, but uh, there's probably more still there hidden in Dan. In uh, the early 20th century, uh, early 21st century, uh, Michael Hazel and others have been digging at a place called Kirbat Kayafa, which is beside the valley of Elah, uh, west of Jerusalem, down on the edge of the Philistine territory. And uh, their discovery has been very significant. The, the pictures of the site show that it is right on the edge of the valley, the valley down below. And that's the place where the, the Battle of David and Goliath took place, just near there. If you go to uh, 1 Samuel 17, you'll find that uh, it records the details there. 1 Samuel 17, the first couple of verses. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes, Damin, between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah, there it is, and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. That's the first two verses of chapter 17. Now, as they have continued to dig there, they've found two apparently Hebrew inscriptions. There's a name or two that can be recognized, but they're still, they're still working on this. But uh, they are very significant because they're so early. They're very early Hebrew inscriptions, probably from the 10th century. Uh, or maybe even slightly older. And uh, that sort of indicates that maybe this was a kind of an administrative capital, perhaps a capital under David. But even more exciting is the fact that as they excavated the city, they found there were two gates. There was a southern gate and a western gate facing the Mediterranean. Now that's very unusual. In ancient times, a city normally would have just one gate. But here is a gate that a city that has two gates. And if you have a Bible that translates the name there, it says in verse 52 of this same chapter, 1 Samuel 17, it says, um, I'll read the whole verse. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward, with a shout, and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sha'araim road to Gath and Ekron. Sha'araim is the name of a city that was there on the edge of the Elah Valley. And the name Sha'araim means Sha'ar, gate, Raim, too. It's a dual, a dual form. So a city that had two gates. So we're pretty sure that this city, Sha'urayim, with the two gates, is the place where 
David's uh, defeat of Goliath and the subsequent pursuits took place right there beside that. Um, just a few brief references to Assyria. We want to know, you know, how reliable is this history? Well, the amount of information that has come from Assyria is absolutely amazing. Uh, Seventh-day Adventist Dr. Siegfried Horn was the one who found a tablet. Uh, he didn't dig it up, but he recognized it lying where it was just being kicked around in the home of an Adventist pastor in ancient uh, Nineveh, Mosul, and uh, he recognized it as a, a, a kind of a, a description of kings, a, an Assyrian king list. Now, the, the chronology of the, of the Assyrian kings had been a mystery and very much debated and very much sought after by scholars. And so here he has found a king list. It was broken. It's, uh, it's not in very good shape, as you can see from this, this uh, picture here. But there's enough there to compare it with another one that had been found earlier. And so these two um, king lists, chronology of king lists of Assyria, were published together under the uh, encouragement of Dr. Siegfried Horn. And the one here on our left is the one, is that the left? No, it's the right, um, is the one that is called the SDAS King List. SDA Seminary King List. The SDA Seminary King List. I saw the original in the uh, Museum of the Oriental Institute in Chicago a few years ago. It's now back in Iraq. Well, it was. Who knows where it is now after the looting of museums and so forth. But anyway, fascinating that that made possible the reconstruction of the chronology of these Assyrian kings, many of whom are mentioned in the Bible. I have a list here of 11 kings of Israel and Judah who are mentioned in the Assyrian records and uh, a lot of detail about them. There's Omri and Ahab and Jehu and Jehoash and Menahem and Pekah and Ahaz and Hoshea and Hezekiah and Manasseh. These are all kings that we know from the Bible account and each one of those is uh, mentioned in one or more of these Assyrian accounts. The uh, story of Ahab is fascinating. In the Bible, he's a sort of an insignificant king because he wasn't true to God. But in the Assyrian records, he was a great, powerful, and wealthy king because when there was a, a battle that occurred, uh, Ahab of Judah is listed as being one of 12 Western allies who fought against Shalmaneser III of Assyria. And in that battle, the, West, the 12 Western allies had all contributed tanks, chariots actually, but like tanks, and foot soldiers and so forth. And Ahab contributed more than half, 2,000 out of uh, 3,900, oh, I can't see the number here, 3,900 and something, uh, yeah, 3,940 chariots. So more than half of the chariots, the tanks, big expensive items were supplied by King Ahab. And more than a, uh, well, about a double share of the foot soldiers were supplied by Ahab. Sennacherib is another significant one. Sennacherib is the king who attacked uh, Jerusalem in, and Judah 
in the time of Hezekiah. And here is a picture, a contemporary picture, of the Assyrian tank, if you like, it looks like a tank, that is attacking the wall of the city of Lachish. And you can see the, uh, the defenders from on top firing down, uh, and then it portrays some of the captives already being marched off in the bottom corner of the picture. This is an Assyrian picture of what happened at the time of their attack on Lachish, and then they went to Jerusalem. And you remember that in Jerusalem, they, uh, they thought they had it all sewn up, but uh, God delivered them. And the Assyrians uh, boast of the fact that, that when they first went there, there was uh, the prospect of victory. They said, as for King Hizkiahu, Hezekiah, king of Judah, they shut him up like a bird in a cage. Well, it appears as though there were actually two attacks, one in 701 BC that ended with Hezekiah paying a lot of tribute, and then when he stopped paying tribute, they came back again, and the second time, uh, that's when the Lord delivered the army of Sennacherib. And if you read the account in Second uh, Kings chapter 18 and chapter 19, you'll find how that, uh, the details of that story match with the, uh, the details that have emerged from archaeology. Of course, the Assyrians don't tell us about their defeat, but they, they do admit the, the death of their king Sennacherib at the hand of his own sons, as portrayed in, and predicted actually, in Second uh, Kings chapter uh, 18 and fulfilled in uh, chapter 19, verse 37, where it describes his two sons uh, killed him. So all of these details are absolutely amazing in the way that they confirm what really happened. My personal involvement uh, in archaeology has helped me as well in my faith. Uh, my faith is not based upon archaeology. It's based upon the inspiration of Scripture. But when I dug at uh, Tel Elamary in Jordan and found a little seal that had the name of a king mentioned in Jeremiah 40.14 and never seen before in any other records that had survived, that was an amazing thing. And uh, the, the name is spelt slightly different, differently because Jeremiah wrote it as he heard it. And so he wrote it as Balis or Balissa. They don't have vowels. They, they did not write the vowels at that time, so we have to supply them. And in uh, um, the story of Jephthah, the judge up in northern uh, Israel, it was Jephthah who, when he'd won a victory and then wanted to test who were Ephraimites, who were disloyal to him, and who were the people of... Uh, the east side from Manasseh, he had them pronounce the word Shibboleth, you remember. And the people of, of uh, that region could say Shibboleth, but the Ephraimites from the west side had a dialectical difference. They could only say Sibboleth, and so they were killed. But uh, there again, that's what is reflected in the name Baalis. Jeremiah wrote it as he heard it, Balis or Belissa, and 
on the seal, it says Balisha or Balyasha with the sh sound, representing uh, further uh, confirmation. Well, there's so much that we could say. The Bible that mentions, um, here's my Bala's seal, and that's to, to highlight the writing and the beetle in the middle. Uh, in, the, in the account in your quarterly, it talks of uh, Caiaphas. Here is the tomb, or an ossuary, a bone box, found in a tomb in Jerusalem in 1990, and it's the tomb of Caiaphas, according to the inscription. Is it the same Caiaphas? Well, pretty clearly it's his family, and maybe the same Caiaphas with this very fancy uh, ossuary here. So, Pontius Pilate. People said he never existed, and we now have Pontius Pilate inscription as of 1961. So, the Bible is objective in its history. It tells what is good and what is bad. The Egyptians and the Assyrians were masters of propaganda, but the Babylonians and the Hittites were relatively objective, as the Bible is. The Bible is very clear that it tells the good and the bad. So the lesson quarterly ends with the story of faith. We need faith. Faith enables us to understand and appreciate the history of the Bible. Uh, these persons mentioned in Hebrews 11 as individuals of faith have set us an example. We don't have to base our faith on archaeology, but all the archaeology has helped to back it up and can help those who don't already have a faith in the Scripture. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you have preserved for us, for all of the details of the Bible that are so valuable in reconstructing what's happened and in strengthening our faith. So guide us as we step forward in faith day by day in studying your word and in growing nearer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast is a service of the University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.